G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I gotta tell you, I've lost Christmas. I don't know what happened, but usually I'm listening to Christmas music by November 1st. I've not listened to one Christmas song yet. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we're starting a new series about the season of Advent. In this first message, we're hearing about the different stages of how we perceive the Christmas season as we grow. Christmas time should be the most wonderful time of year for the Christ follower because now more than any time of year, we should be able to see Jesus clearly. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Just a few verses there. We're in a new series called Now I See, and we're hoping and wanting to see Jesus through this Christmas season, perhaps more clear than we've ever seen him before. So to get you on a little journey, just want to tell you about this sermon. This message is going to have basically four parts to it. We're going to talk about this issue, and then we're going to gather it up, and we're going to talk about this issue, and then another one, and then there's one in the middle, and we're going to bring them all together at the end. So you got to kind of stay connected with me. And the first way to introduce what we're doing uh, is that think about for a moment the different phases of Christmas. Okay, you know how you start out as a child? And there's great anticipation. There's the expectation of the Christmas season. When I was a little boy, one of the memories I have is my mom making sugar cookies and putting the green and the red and the white and the yellow icing. And they were so fantastic. I had three brothers. So as soon as the first batch came out of the oven, we pounced. They were gone. Second batch goes in. We pounced on that. And poor mom couldn't keep up with us. But for some reason, it's uncanny what you remember, what you don't remember. But these sugar cookies were like little pieces of heaven, man. They would melt in your mouth and in your hands. They were beautiful. Also, remember taking snow walks with my mom when it began to snow. She would put on my little boots and take me up into the city, and you would see the snow glistening through the lights. And it was so beautiful against the night sky, just gorgeous. I also remember Christmas morning, me and my three brothers waking up and pouncing on the Christmas presents. And you know how you get up like at five o'clock in the morning and you'd tear open into these boxes? And we would think we were about to get a gift that would change our life forever. And we would play with it for two weeks and then never touch it again. That's the way it goes, right? Now, over time, you move to the second phase of Christmas where you start to grow up a little. You start to mature. And so now you're actually starting to experience that it is more blessed to give than receive. Where before you liked getting all these presents, you move into a phase of your life where You love to see the look on people's faces as they open the present that you thought through, that you thought about, that you wrapped for them. I remember I worked as a men's clothes salesman at a department store called Watson's. It was the first job I had in the first year I had a paycheck. And I could not wait to see the look on my aunts and uncles' faces and my brothers and my mom and my dad, their faces as they got their gift from me that I had spent money on put so much thought into. In fact, one Christmas, I wrote my mom a Christmas letter And I was in college and my basketball scholarship didn't pay for everything. And so she actually worked for an organization much like Molly Maids to just help us 
make the ends meet. And I remember that Christmas of writing her sitting down. So I'm going to write my mom a Christmas letter. And I wrote her a letter of how much I loved her and how beautiful I thought she was and how thankful I was that she was sacrificing and being so generous and helping me make it through school and that I owed so much of who I'd become to her as a mother. She cried that whole Christmas Eve and I felt like I had messed up Christmas and my dad assured me, son, when you get older, you'll recognize what just happened. When my mom died, they gave me her Bible and in that Bible was that letter that I had written as a young kid. They say that somewhere along the line you move from it is more blessed to give than receive and you maybe carry that with you the rest of your life but then you become a father and now you've got kids of your own. And pastors do crazy things. They lie. Uh, what kind of a pastor would have a daughter, let's say her name is Sion, just for argument, and uh, what kind of pastor living in New Zealand, just for argument, what kind of pastor would recognize that his daughter is starting to doubt the existence of Santa, and so he travels one hour north of Auckland to a reindeer farm to collect reindeer droppings? What kind of pastor would spread those droppings out on the deck of his home and mix and mingle that with red and silver and white glitter and then and to go to great lengths to give objective empirical evidence that Santa is real. <laughs> what kind of pastor does that? Sick, sick man. <laughs> but it was important for my daughter to know that Santa Claus is real and that he brings gifts and presents. <clears throat> and then we move on from that stage. The kids grow up and then we we're sickened by the commercialism and the marketers and we began to realize how stupid they really think we are. And all the madness of Black Friday and people going out and making complete fools of themselves and acting like we're not civilized at all. <laughs> and then you start to realize how sad it is that people pursue these gifts in hopes that somehow it will give them a fulfillment, temporary at best. And then you move on to the fifth stage where now your kids have grown up and they've had kids and it's like you've come full circle because now you've got grandkids and you can't wait to see the little looks on their little faces as they come down in their PJs opening up their Christmas presents and suddenly you look at life and you've come full circle. Someone has suggested that Christmas tells us a lot about the stages of life as well. Think about it. In the first stage of life, you believe in Santa Claus. In the second stage, you don't believe in Santa Claus. In the third stage, you are Santa Claus. And in the, in the fourth stage, you look like Santa Claus. Now, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing this year, and it's very different, I've never done this before, I'm serious about that, is because I gotta tell you, I've lost Christmas. I don't know what happened to me this year. Does it happen when you hit 50? I don't know what happened, but usually I'm listening to Christmas music by November 1st. I've not listened to one Christmas song yet. Usually by now, I've worn out 103.5. I've worn out my James Taylor Winter Wonderland Christmas CD. I've played it over and over again. I'm not even listening to it one time yet. What's happened? I feel like this year, and you know, we're transparent around here. We're honest with each other. I just feel like I've lost it. But it's something that I want to get back. Especially when I sat down to write this series this past week, I thought, you know what? Christmas time should be the most wonderful time of year for the Christ follower because now more than any time of year, we should be able to see Jesus clearly. His promise, his presence, his provision should become so clear to us in the Christmas season. What happened? That's why it's important to get Christmas back. You say, what is that? Listen, what is the point? I started reading the news media. I don't know why I do this to myself. Just to see if they would ask the deeper, more penetrating questions of life in the midst of so much carnage. Instead, what do they do? They blame religion. 
If we can just rid the world of religion, there'll be no more pain, suffering, and war and death. Really? When I read something in the Washington Post or New York Times written by a Harvard or Yale graduate and it says that, I'm thinking, dude, do you know anything about history? Can you say Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, Pol Pot? Do you know what they had in common? Claim noted atheist. They believe that nature was red in tooth and claw, that it's the survival of the fittest. Even the novelist, the great Russian novelist, Fyodor Dostoevsky said that hell is what happens when men become adrift from the creator's moorings and he himself becomes God. Hitler knew this. Rid the world of God, rid the world of a moral conscience, rid the world of guilt, and you can raise an entire young generation to kill at will. And that's why he said, I freed Germany from the stupid and degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. I want young people capable of violence, imperious, relentless, and cruel. I want want to raise a whole generation that will murder at will. Do you know that's what's happening? Remove God, remove morality, remove the moral voice, remove a conscience, remove guilt, and brutality and evil and war will run rampant. Behind every senseless act of cruelty in our world for the last 2,000 years, has been one of two worldviews. It's that simple. One, a godless worldview where there is no God, therefore life has no ultimate meaning, survival of the fittest and only the powerful survive. Or two, a religious system that proclaims a God who advances his kingdom through the sword. Both, both inflict incredible pain, suffering, damage. Not all religions are the same, folks. That's why Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Peter, one of his own disciples, who was a bit slow and still didn't get Jesus, took out his sword and cut off a man's ear. And Jesus said, put the sword back in, your, back in its place. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. And in verse 55 of Matthew 26, he says, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you would come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Jesus repeatedly said what? Love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's no harmonizing the killing of people who disagree with your worldview and what Jesus taught. You you don't advance Christ's kingdom by the sword, by pain and suffering and hate. You advance it by love. You love those who disagree with you. The problem is in our world today, you're not even allowed anymore to question someone's religion in the sense of asking if it's coherent and if it makes sense. Today, if you do that, you might be killed. Tolerance is the great lie of our time. What it really means is we tolerate everybody who agrees with us. And now we have ideologies and religions and philosophies coming into our world that are sneaking in under the lie of tolerance who have a passion to kill and destroy. My friend Ravi Zachariah says that's the depravity of our rage. He says, it's death to ask pointing questions because the answer, if true, betrays the real truth. The masquerade now is on and it's deadly. We watch hundreds die. We hear speeches full of distortions. We tolerate deceit and even reward it. And he goes on to finish by saying, some in power in the public eye whitewash the reality while the blood of the murdered cries out from the ground. Our children and grandchildren will inherit the whirlwind because our media pundits and misguided speech makers have sown to the wind by trading in lives for their power. What does he mean by that? There's no longer a search for truth 
truth and logic in our world. Now you just say whatever you need to say to get elected. And so ideologies and philosophical systems and even religion and political systems are able to raise the power with the idea of destroying people who don't agree. It would be easy to become cynical, believe me. It would be very difficult to gain a heart of courage in the midst of all this. This is why I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do this year with Christmas. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We've started a new series about Advent and in this message, we're seeing Jesus. Let's continue. I wanna remind you that there is one who came, who sees all and conquers all. In the midst of injustice, poverty, lies and demagogues. That Jesus came and conquered the darkness, not apart from the darkness, but through it. The Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, comes to earth, and was he not also a victim of hate? Right? John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. The Word was with God, that's Jesus. The Word was God, that's Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. If you think about the life of Jesus, it's lies and politicians and a false religious system that killed him. And 2,000 years later, it's still happening. Truth and justice are far less important to us today than political power. But the light shines in the darkness, says John chapter 1, verse 5. And the message of Christmas is that the king has come to set things right. Which is why I'm going to do something this year I've never done. You know what I'm going to do? You know what we're going to do? We're going to go through Advent together. I'm going to take you through the four weeks of Advent. And you say, yeah, that's fantastic. What's Advent? (laughs) The reason I'm doing this, I began to ask people if they knew what it was. And I couldn't believe how many Christ followers had no idea what Advent is or the impact it has made on the church for generations to illuminate, to help us to say, now I see Jesus and now I see Christmas and what it really is. And this whole weekend's a setup. I want to motivate you to commit to the next four weekends, man. I've lost Christmas. And if you've lost it, I want to get it back. And the only way to do that is go back through Advent and recall that the king has come once in the first Advent and the king will come again in the second Advent. It's it's my hope and prayer that by the time we light the candles and then gather together on Christmas Eve and we light this big white candle together, that this year in that candlelight service, you'll not only be just lighting it to light it, you'll know why it's white and you'll know why you're lighting it because the light of the world has come and nothing's ever gonna be the same. So this weekend, I want to explain a couple of things to help you on this journey. This is how we start. Number one, what on earth is Advent? Advent means coming or arrival. And it, I, want to, I want to remind you that when Jesus came, he did three things nobody else did. It was involved in revelation, reconciliation, and restoration. It's one thing to say that you and I believe that God is real. It's another thing entirely to say that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Advent is about. Remembering that the baby Jesus is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, he is God with us. And when you see the little children sit on Jesus' knee, they're sitting on God's lap. When you see Jesus say to the woman condemned in adultery, 
I forgive you. No one condemns you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When you see Jesus calling out the religious, pious people and hanging out with the sinners, you're seeing God, what he's truly like. The Advent will help you to see that in a way you've never seen it before. You'll see the reconciliation. You're going to see restoration. I had a dream this past week that I haven't had probably in 10 years. And I dreamt that I was with my mom and my dad and it was Christmas in our home. Have you ever had a dream that's so real that you woke up and there was an actual tear? Well, because I lost my parents years ago and maybe it's because we're moving into Advent season, Christmas season, I just woke up and I was just, man, I, I, it was sad. And then I remembered that the Christmas season is supposed to remind me that the ultimate restoration is coming where God makes all things new and that whatever we have lost for his sake, he will replace to an infinitely greater degree. Advent will remind you that the people that you've loved and lost, you're going to see again, that you're guaranteed to see them again because God came down. There's no doubt. Yes, sure, in our human experience, we always have some room for doubt. I mean, that's just life, but if you really start to contemplate and you understand what Advent is, those things are going to become more real. The first Advent is Emmanuel, God with us, redeeming and restoring again. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. The Word was with God. That's, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. The reason I have to take you through Advent is because both the East and the West reject this, that God could possibly come to earth. The East does so from this motivation. They say, we don't need God to come down here. We are all God internally. And all we need to do is get in touch with our total consciousness. And they will tell you that pain and suffering and death, they're all illusions. The problem is I spent a summer last year in Thailand, and I can tell you there's a whole new generation of people not buying it. They're saying, this pain and suffering that I'm in seems awfully real to me. And then there's shootings and death in Paris. And husbands and wives are separated. And moms and dad lose their children. And they say, this seems awfully real to me. And then, I wasn't able to read a lot because everything's in Thai or Lisu. But the English I could read at Payap University or online, I did discover there's a whole generation of young people asking, wait a minute. Is there a place where the ideal, the thing that we're looking for, becomes real? Is it possible that a place of no suffering, no pain, is there a place of, of where the sense of beyond that I have inside me becomes a reality? Is there any way that the, the ideal that we're looking for can become real? What a great time to step in with the message of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happened. God comes to earth in the form of man to show you this kind of living is possible. And even more so than this, there's a world where no, no tears, no pain, no mourning, no crying, no suffering. The king has come once and the king will come again to restore all things. And then the West rejects the virgin birth because they say it's impossible. They think differently from the Eastern mind. I get that. They say it's impossible for God to be reduced to a single cell. Really? God of the universe a baby in a manger, Holy Spirit impregnates a virgin. Yeah, right. It's hard. But wait a minute. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I think I've got a good question for you. If God is God, is there anything he can't do? Can God not be self-reducing? If God wanted to reduce himself in a moment in time, 
If he really desired to do it, could he not do it? If he's God, he can. And that's what the advent is about. That God came down in a way that you and I never think. God's immutability suffered mutation. His unchanging nature, he changed himself and took on the form of a man, a bondservant, the Bible says. Not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped, he let go of it and became servant of all. Man, the immutable, unchanging God changed himself. God's immortality suffered mortality. God has no beginning and no end. He's eternal, and yet he made himself vulnerable, whereby the creator of all things was killed by the creation. Wow, that's the advent. That's the first advent, God coming near. God's infinity suffered finitude. The God of the universe, who has no needs, became hungry, became weary and tired. He had to rest. He needed water, and he got it from the woman at the well. It goes on and on. And he did all of this that he might bridge the gap between us and him, a gap that we know exists, that we might be taken to a world that we know exists. Because the ideal has become real, and the first advent reminds us that God has come near, and he will come again. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we'll continue seeing Jesus next time as part of our Advent series. I'm going to take you through the four weeks of Advent. Couldn't believe how many Christ followers had no idea what Advent is or the impact it has made on the church for generations. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.